So we're reading Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and we'll go to verse 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed be see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Well, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you had some incomplete information and it maybe caused you to maybe misinterpret something or maybe make a poor decision? Well, uh, about a month ago, Stephanie, Stephanie and I went up to Erie, Pennsylvania for a few days for our anniversary, um, and I wanted to do something special for our anniversary, so I decided I was going to surprise her uh, with a night out to the theater. So I found this uh, local theater in Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, I looked up some information about the theater, um, and I found out that they would be playing James and the Giant Peach, a musical, while we were there. And so I did some homework on it, and I called up the theater and was able to secure front row tickets for the show. So we get to Erie, and we were checking into the hotel, and Stephanie happened to see a sign for this uh, production of James and the Giant Peach. She's like, look at this, James and the Giant Peach, and and then uh, that was the perfect opportunity. I was like, well, I got tickets for you for tomorrow for for the front row of the show. I felt like the ultimate husband at that point, the most romantic husband ever. So the next day came, and uh, we got all dressed up to go to this theater, and uh, we drove to the theater, found a parking spot, and we walked uh, to the atrium, and we're waiting to go into the auditorium, and I look and I see this sign, and it says, send a candy gram to your favorite cast member. I was thinking, candy Candy Graham? What's going on here? And things started to seem a little bit weird to me. And I was thinking, what kind of show have we come to? And so we're down there in the front row, and 
I realized there was something that was up when the show started and 50 children ran out onto the stage screaming, I mean singing, screaming, and it turned out it was a children's production. There, was a few hundred, there were a few hundred people in the audience. There was probably 60 children in the show. I don't know if there were many people that weren't family members, parents, or grandparents. So I took her to a children's production for our anniversary. And don't worry, Stephanie, next year we'll maybe go to the elementary school. I had most of the information right. There was a play, James and Giant Peach, a musical. I just missed one little piece of information that it was a children's production. And I think as we look at this passage today, the the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, I think sometimes there's one piece of information that maybe we've missed. One piece of information that would maybe cause us to maybe not misinterpret this passage, but maybe miss the significance of it, miss the point of it, miss the thrust of this passage. A lot of times when, if you've heard this passage uh, preached upon or if you've read this passage on your own, it's kind of the, the point is kind of look at what kind of soil represents your life. Are you the soil of the, uh, the seed that's along the path? Are you like the rocky soil? Are you like the soil that has thorns in it? Or are you the good soil? And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I think we'll look at that and examine that question in a little bit. But I don't think that's the thrust of the passage. I don't think that's the main point of the passage. So if we're going to understand what the main point of the passage is, I think we need to see what Jesus is doing here. What is His purpose? And why is He communicating in this way? Now, Jesus is speaking in a parable, a parable, a story, or an illustration to prove a spiritual point. He's, he's speaking in these parables, and He gives the reason why He's speaking in parables. Uh, we see that in verse 12. Jesus says that He speaks to the crowd in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because it seems like Jesus is saying that he's speaking in parables so that those who are outside would not believe in him and, in essence, would not be forgiven, not be saved. Now, this is kind of a mysterious passage. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, but I'll do my best to try to make sense of it. Think about an example. Uh, Imagine that you have a friend, and a friend uh, steals $1,000 from you. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that your friend stole this from you. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that your friend still has this $1,000. And so you go to your friend and say, I know that you stole my $1,000. I know that you still have it. But just give it back to me and we'll pretend like it didn't happen. We'll just you know, go along our merry way. We'll just pretend like it didn't happen. But then your friend says to you, I don't have your money. I'm not giving you anything. And then you try to reason with them. You say, I know that you have your money. I saw you take it. And I know that you still have it. Can you just please give it back to me and then we'll just pretend like it didn't happen. He says, no, I don't have your money. I've never seen your money. I'm not giving it back to you. You might get to a point, at a certain point, where you'd stop reasoning with the person. Or you'd just say, well, if that's what you want, then I'll just have to go to the authorities. We're done talking about it. I tried to reason with you. I tried to forgive you of this. I, I was just going to push it under the rug, but now you won't, you won't uh, respond to that, and so now I'm going to turn it over to the authorities. There's a point at which 
You're done reasoning. You're done discussing it. You've turned it over to the authorities. I think that might shed some light on what Jesus is talking about here. Remember the people that we talked about last week? People like the scribes. They had seen all of Jesus' miracles. They had seen the wonderful things that He had done. And rather than believing in Him, they reject Him. And they say, He, Jesus, has a, uh, an evil spirit inside of Him. He does these things by the power of the devil. And so it seems almost like Jesus is stiff-arming those who reject Him. That He's done reasoning with them. The people who have rejected Him, the scribes, the Pharisees, He's done reasoning. He's done, uh, done with that. They've rejected Him, and now He's going to confirm them in their rejection. If you're here today and you're not a believer, the Scripture tells us that we have today to turn to God. We're not promised tomorrow. We could you know, walk out the doors of the church today, get hit by a car, and be headed to eternity. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised today. Today we have the opportunity to turn to God. We don't have the promise of tomorrow necessarily. And so we can get so far down the road of rejecting Him if we're not believers in Jesus that God is like, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. Hebrews 3, 13-15 says it similarly, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So all of that to say is when Jesus is communicating this message here, His primary point is He is not saying which soil are you? His primary point is not evangelism at this point. His primary point is that he's trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is like. So let's look at this parable in a little bit more detail. Now, I, I grew a garden this past year, and uh, for the garden, I started seedlings inside, and I uh, went to the store and got these little um, soil pellets, and I have a heating mat, um, and I just you know, made sure I watered them and I put plant lights on them and just made sure they were taken care of and kind of babied them as they were just little plants. And then once it got warm outside, I slowly kind of acclimated them to being outside to the wind and the sun and whatnot. But imagine if I took a different strategy. Imagine if I went to Home Depot and if there is such a thing, bought a big five-gallon bucket of flower seeds. And I just took those seeds and I went to my backyard and I just started tossing them around my backyard. I tossed some of them on the grass, some of them in the mulch, some of them on good soil, some of them on my parking in the, on the driveway, some of them right in the middle of the road. Just tossed them everywhere I could. And then imagine after that, uh, I, I imagine you'd have a lot of failure, right? I mean the seed that was on the driveway would burn up pretty quickly. The seed that was on the road would be driven over. The seed that was on the grass might start to sprout up, but then when I mowed the lawn, it would be mowed over. The seed on the mulch probably wouldn't have much root. But imagine the seed that was in the good soil. It just took off. I mean, the plants just grew ginormous so much that they started spreading, started growing, and they basically took over my entire yard. And there's, these, there's so many flowers in my backyard that Home and Garden um, magazine calls up and they say, we want to do a special on your backyard because it's so beautiful. And so they come out to my house and they say, 
what was your strategy? How did you grow these beautiful flowers? And I said, well, I just get a bucket of seed and I just toss it everywhere. The driveway, the grass, the mulch, the good soil, anywhere I can find, I just toss it everywhere. I imagine there'd be some kind of confused stares. It wouldn't make the most sense. It wouldn't be the most practical thing to do, but who could argue with the results? A similar thing happens with the kingdom of God. The word of Christ goes out indiscriminately, and it faces a lot of rejection, faces a lot of half-hearted results and responses. But for the seed that is sown on the good soil, the text says that it increases 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold. Now, a fold is basically the, the number of grains that are produced in relationship to the number of seeds that are sown. According to scholar James Edwards, the amount of an average fold might have been as low as three or four. And so a fold of 30-fold was a great harvest. 60 might have been extraordinary. 100 might have been miraculous. So this seed that's sown upon the good soil, the harvest is extraordinary, if not miraculous. So the Word of God experiences much rejection, much failure, but it also experiences much growth. So how can we apply that to our life? What difference does that make as we carry on our lives as believers in Jesus? I think we can learn from this passage that God can change the world through just a few people who hear His Word, accept His Word, and bear fruit. God can change the world through just a few people who hear His Word, accept His Word, and bear fruit. So the Word of God experiences different responses. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus, as we communicate the gospel and share the gospel with others, we will experience these these responses to the gospel. So some of the seed will fall upon the path. The path is a place where many people walk. It's heavily trafficked. Yet as soon as the seed is, it falls upon the path, the devil comes and takes away the Word. Some people, when they hear the Word of the Gospel, it's almost like immediately they change the channel. They hear it and it's in one year and out the other. It's almost like they're indifferent or apathetic to the Gospel. And then there's seed that's sown among the rocky soil. These people, it says in the text, receive the Word of God with joy. They make some kind of verbal assent to the gospel. They say they believe in Jesus. They might show evidence that they've become a believer. Maybe they study God's Word, or maybe they give to the church. Maybe they help people in need. But then when persecution comes, when the trial comes, they check out. I, got, I didn't sign up for this. I, I signed up to become a believer so that everything would go well in my life. I, can't, I signed up to believers so that I would become, have more money, so that my relationships would be healed, so that my health would be good. I didn't sign up to come to Christ so that I would suffer even more. We might describe these people, as one writer does, as opportunistic. They use the gospel in so much as it benefits their earthly life. So they appear to come to Christ, appear to put on Uh, the strappings of religion, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. Then there's the seeds that that are sown among the thorns. These seeds sprout up, but the thorns soon choke them out. 
They're alive, but they're competing with res- for resources with another plant. And they never bear fruit. And there's evidence to believe that these people also are not believers. John chapter 15, Jesus says that those people who bear fruit give evidence that they're Jesus' disciples. So these people also are not believers. They don't produce fruit. They're distracted by many things. It says that they're distracted by the cares of the world, by the desires of things other than God and the advancement of His name. And this is the state of many Christians in our country. Many Christians, they know the Christian language. They maybe say they've made a decision at some point in their life. But they focus on the things of the world. They don't have time to spend serving God, but they have plenty of time to spend on earthly pursuits, hobbies, television, work, housekeeping. They don't have any money to give to the advancement of God's cause, but they have plenty of money to spend on entertainment, shopping, and sports. They don't have the time or energy to study God's Word, but they've read every book on the New York Times bestseller list. These people can spend their entire lives in church and waste their entire lives on temporal things that will pass away. These people can be summed up by the word distracted. They give mental assent to the Gospel. Maybe even say they've made a decision for Christ at some point in their life, but all that they're focused on is temporal, earthly things. And then there's the good soil. The good soil is different from the other soils. In the text it says that everyone, you know, all these people, these four uh, soils which represent the people, they hear the Word. But for the first three, the hearing is different. For the first three, for the the, uh, seed that's sown among uh, the rocks, the thorns, the path, this hearing is in the aorist tense in the Greek. And the aorist tense represents a one-time action, something that's completed and done. So for the first three soils, they hear the word one time, and that's it. They hear it, and they move on with their life. They hear it, and they're indifferent to it. They hear it, and they're distracted by other things. They hear it, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. But for the good soil, it's different. The hearing is in the present tense, which indicates a continuous action that they continue to hear and respond to the Word of God. They continue to believe in the Gospel. These are the people who make a difference for God's kingdom. These are the people who God causes, to, causes them to produce fruit in their life, 30, 60, 100-fold. These are the people that change the world for the cause of Christ. God can change the world through just a few people who hear His Word, accept His Word, and bear fruit. So I'd like to give us an encouragement today and then ask, ask ourselves to consider a question. First, the encouragement. We live in an increasingly post-Christian world. We live in a world where it seems like the Christian gospel is losing influence, where it seems like fewer and fewer people embrace a biblical Christianity. And yet we can be assured that the gospel will go forward. As we're ministering to those around us, as we're sharing the gospel with those around us, we can be assured that God will carry out His mission. Isaiah 55, 10-11 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose. 
and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Word of God will not return void. It will face opposition. And as we share the love of Christ, as we share the Gospel with those around us, we will face opposition. Much of our efforts will seem to be wasted. The sower in this passage, he sows and three quarters of his labor is wasted. It's thrown among the rocky soil. The thorns, the path, falls to the ground and dies. Much of our efforts will seem to be wasted, but God will carry out His purpose. God's kingdom will go forward and He will produce fruit in our life. And the kingdom of God will expand exponentially by His power. 1949, there's a couple by the name of George Roy and Elizabeth Wood. They were an American missionary couple who went to China and Tibet. And they served there for a while, but they were forced to leave. And they turned over the church to a man named Pastor Mung. At the time when they left, there were 200 people. Their woods returned to America, but by 1985, both of them had passed away, never knowing what had happened to the church that they helped start. In 1998, the woods' son, uh, George Wood, returned to China, and he met with Pastor Mung and his wife, who were now in their 80s. For the last 28 years, the communist government had done their best to extinguish the church. Pastor Mung wasn't allowed to preach, and he spent nine, years of those, nine of those years in prison for his faith. It was illegal to baptize or, quote, indoctrinate anyone under 18. When the f- government finally allowed Mung to reopen the church in 1983, there were only 30 people left in his church. George Wood assumed that the church was on its last legs, that it was barely existing if it existed at all. And he asked Pastor Mung, how many believers do you have today? Pastor Mung's wife brought them a cardboard roll held together by yarn. The first page was filled with writing, five columns, name, age, gender, address, occupation. There were around 20 names. George Wood continued turning over page after page after page with more and more names of people who were baptized. Finally, he asked the monks, how many believers do you have now? He said 1,500 baptized believers. In disbelief, George Wood asked, how did this happen? Pastor Mung smiled as he shared his secret for church growth. It wasn't a technique or a program. He simply said, oh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray a lot. Then he went on to describe what the Lord had done. Pastor Mung died in 2006 at the age of 96. But when he passed, passed, the number of baptized believers stood at over 15,000. God can change the world through just a few people. One more story. There's a man named Edward Kimball. He was a shoe shop assistant and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. And he had a heart for young people. He spent a lot of his free time with young boys who kind of wandered the streets in the inner city of Chicago. He spent time witnessing to them, spent time building in their life. And one of the people that he witnessed to and who eventually came to Christ was a man named Dwight L. Moody. Moody got saved in 1958 and grew up to become a very famous preacher. In 1879, Moody, in his ministry, won to the Lord a young man by the name of F. B. Mayer, who also grew up to be a preacher. 
Mayer won a young man to Christ by the name of J.W. Chapman. Chapman himself, in turn, grew up to be a preacher and brought the message of Christ to a baseball player named Billy Sunday, who went on to become a very famous evangelist. As an athlete and evangelist, Billy Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina that was so successful that another evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham was invited to Charlotte to preach. It was while Ham was preaching that a teenager named Billy Graham gave his life to Christ. Billy Graham went on to become the most famous evangelist in American history, preaching in person to more people than anyone else in the history of the earth. But it all started with winning one child to Christ. Edward Kimball, shoe shop assistant, not a religious professional, probably didn't know all that much about the Bible, probably not very educated, but he set in motion something that went on to change the world. That's what God can do to people, through people who hear His Word, accept His Word, and He causes them to bear fruit. So that's the encouragement for us. As we share the gospel with those around us, we will face opposition, we will face trial, but God will ultimately bring the fruit through it. So then a question, secondary question. Which of the soils does most describe your life? Are you a believer in Jesus, or have you been indifferent or apathetic toward the gospel? Maybe you've just kind of been kicking the tires about what it means to follow after Jesus. You know the story, you've heard the story, but you're focused on other things, focused on the cares and concerns of this life. Which of the soils are you? Have you made a decision to follow after Jesus? The Scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we have to turn and repent and come to God. And if you're here today and are not a believer, I'd encourage you to turn from the direction you're going and enter into a relationship with Christ. And if you'd like to do that, I'd love to talk to you more about that after the service. Pastor Phil would love to talk to you more about that after the service. Others of us, maybe we're believers, but we've started to become distracted. We know that we're believers and we want to serve God but we've started to become distracted by the things of this world. Things that are not necessarily bad, but things that are taking our focus off of our ultimate aim of serving God, loving God, and making Christ known. And for us, maybe it's time to repent also. To turn from our indifference towards the gospel, turn from our distraction toward the gospel, and renew our commitment to follow after Christ with all that we have. So which soil are you today? God can change the world through just a few people who hear His Word, accept His Word, and bear fruit. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for the gospel through which we are saved and brought into a relationship with You. Uh, God, we just thank You that You give us uh, the message of the gospel, that You allow us to be a part of Your plan of reaching the world with the gospel. And we thank You that the Word of the Gospel has power. That it has power to change hearts. That it has power to transform us. We thank You for those of us who have been transformed by the Gospel. We thank You for that gift of Your love. God, I pray that as we share the Gospel with those around us, as we do ministry with those around us, 
I pray that we would not grow discouraged, that we would not grow weary when we face opposition or persecution or half-hearted responses. They would firmly believe and firmly know that your word has power to change hearts and that your word will not return void. God, we pray that you give us the strength to believe that through your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.